listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. We're going to be talking about avoiding these six faith killers. Now, I want to say this ahead of time. You say, well, people don't understand the extreme importance of faith. We just think faith is just like, well, you know, I've got faith in God. It is an element of the Christian life that is absolutely non-negotiable. It is absolutely non-negotiable. The reason I say that, two reasons, I'll give you scripture for it. First of all, the Bible teaches us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So this is Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible, good morning, Frank, to please God. Well, right there, that should be a clue for all of us that are followers of God, that are believers in Jesus Christ, part of the body of Christ, that without faith, it is absolutely impossible to please God. So (laughs) if you're not pleasing God, what are you doing? You're displeasing God. What is displeasing God? It's sin. It's sin. Uh, The Bible tells us anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. So to understand that uh, faith is not just say, well, you know, I've got some faith. No, it is a lifestyle of understanding that this is what I've got to operate in if I'm going to not just see miracles, signs, and wonders, not just have everything God said is mine, but to just at the basic level, please God. I want to please God. And so you want to see this today. Faith, by the way, is not automatic. Faith can be hindered. And let me go a step further than that and say faith can grow or faith can uh, stay the same. Faith can be, uh, the level of faith you have can also be displeasing to God. Now, here's an interesting thing I don't think I've ever, ever talked about on the broadcast. I don't think I've ever dealt with this. You can get to a place in life where the level of faith that you have or exhibit is displeasing to the Lord. So what do you mean by that? See, because when I when anybody begins to talk like this, people will always reference scriptures like, you know, that Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, right? Mark chapter 11, that you could speak to this mountain. Well, that's true. That just a little bit of faith can do a lot in the kingdom of God. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is we've got to look at the narrative of scripture at how Jesus operated with his disciples. We look at the fact that number one, we know that there are levels of faith, right? There were um, times where Jesus said himself, you faithless generation. So he was talking to some people that had no faith. And then what's another phrase you heard him say? Oh, ye of little faith. 
So there were some that he talked to that had no faith. They were faithless. Then there were some that he talked to that had little faith. And then what, what else did we see in the scripture? There were some people, the Bible says, had great faith. They had great faith. So who am I talking about? Um, you know, you, you, talk, you talk about uh, the centurion soldier. He said, I've not seen this great of faith in all of Israel. He had great faith. Uh, there were like the woman with the issue of blood. She had great faith. I'll tell you one that sticks out in my mind is the woman who came to Jesus. She was a Syrophoenician woman. She came to Jesus to receive a miracle for her daughter who was battling a demon. And Jesus was very plain with her. He said, uh, it's not right for me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. She said, yeah, but Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he said, this is great faith. He pointed at it and said, this is great faith. And so we'll deal with some of this today, but notice that there are levels of faith. Notice that there's no faith, little faith, there's growing faith, there's great faith. And so we can see that there are times where Jesus was uh, disappointed in the level of faith that certain people had. Now, let's break this down for a second, because if we if we really want to understand this, we need to look at why this is the case. Jesus is on the boat with his disciples. You remember this story? He's on the boat with his disciples. He's sleeping in the hinder part, the back part of the ship. And the storm comes and the storm is raging. And the disciples are getting so afraid that they're like ready to die. And they want to wake him up in panic and say, Lord, you know, you remember what they said to him, Lord, don't you care that we're about to die? I mean, that's where they were at with it. Don't you care that we're about to die? And what did he say to them? He said in one passage, where is your faith? In another passage, oh, ye of little faith. In another passage, how is it that you have no faith? So here we see Jesus' irritation with where his disciples' faith was at. We see his irritation. You know why? Because they should have stepped up and rebuked the wind and calm the storm. They should have done it. What he was trying to get across was, you shouldn't have had to wake me up. You should have done it. You've got power to do it. And so here's a place where Jesus rebukes them for the level of faith they're, they're exhibiting. That shows his displeasure with the disciples' level of faith, which means that if you're not continuing to grow in faith and exhibit more faith, that's displeasing to God. Uh, if I take you over real quickly to Mark chapter nine, let me show you something here. You of course know this story and um, this is the demon possessed young man that was brought to Jesus by his parents and uh, the disciples. What did the parents say about the disciples? We brought our son uh, to your disciples and they could not cast the demon out of him. Look at Jesus' response to that. This is Mark chapter nine and uh, I'll read you verses 18 and 19. Um, the parents said, I'm reading at the end of the verse, so I asked your disciples to cast it out 
and they were not able, Mark 9, 18, look at that, and they were not able, verse 19, and Jesus answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? So he was disappointed that his disciples were not able to cast the demon out. He was disappointed by that. He said, look, I've, how long do I have to stay with you before you get what I have? How long do I have to bear with you until you learn to do it yourself? That's why he's disappointed. Well, there's a scriptural principle that is this, to whom much is given, much is required. I want you to put that in the, in the comments. To whom much is given, much is required. Well, what, what does that mean in the context of faith that we're talking about? It's not right for us, like say, I'd say, for example, this church that we're at right now, Crossroads Community Church. Well, this is a pastor and his wife that preach faith. They're faith preachers. And uh, they preach the message of faith, Pentecost. It would not be right to attend this church for years and years and still be at a low level of faith. It would not be right because it means that you're rejecting the message that's being preached in this house. You're not receiving the message that's preached in this house. And, and watch the principle. To whom much is given, much is required. So if you're constantly being given the word of faith over and over, Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, and two years pass and three years pass, and you still don't have faith that's growing, then it's not something wrong with the message. There's something wrong with your reception, right? So it's displeasing to God when people sit in a church that's preaching the full gospel week after week after week, but their faith does not grow. Their faith is the same place it was five years ago. Their faith is the same place it was a year ago. We believe in ever-increasing faith, ever-increasing faith. Well, why do we believe that? Because the Bible tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans 10, 17. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you keep hearing and hearing the word of God and faith is not coming, <laughs> then the problem is never going to be with the word of God. It's going to be with the reception, the hearer. Now, I'm going to show you something that's kind of a, I, I wouldn't call it a secret, but it's something I never understood. I never knew this. I never saw this in the Bible. And then I picked it up when I was in Bible school. They were teaching us about faith. Catch this in your spirit because this will help you. I always just took that verse at face value, that faith comes by hearing. So anytime I hear, hear a word about something, faith's going to be built. But I saw something in the biblical narrative that proves that there's an extra step within that verse that's an understood step. It's not mentioned because it's understood uh, by the hearer and by Paul who's writing. What is that step, that extra step? Look at the resurrection of Jesus. 
right? He's got his disciples that were mourning his loss. And then he, he is raised from the dead and they come back and they tell the disciples he's alive. He's risen. And they're all rejoicing. Are they all rejoicing? No. There's one who says, who is this one? Thomas. How do you think he got the phrase or the name, nickname, Doubting Thomas? Because <laughs> he was doubting. And when they came back and said, he's risen, he's alive. What did Thomas say? Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I can put my fingers in the nail scars in his hands. You see that? Now, this is an interesting passage because watch, Thomas heard that was really the first time the gospel message was ever preached, wasn't it? Because Jesus had never been uh, risen from the dead before. And so this is the first time the gospel message is preached. Not only has he come, not only did he die, not only was he crucified and buried, he's resurrected. He is risen. And Thomas hears the gospel and it doesn't produce faith in him. It produces doubt. So you say, well, how does that happen? How did the gospel produce doubt in Thomas? Because there's an extra understood step here when we hear the word. And what is that step? It's not just that we hear it, but we hear it and believe what we hear is true. That is the step that's understood. That's what the other disciples did that Thomas did not do. They heard it and believed it was true. Thomas heard it and took what he heard and rejected it because he said, well, that can't be true. That's not true. This is not the only place. Uh, where this happened in the Bible. Let me show you something else in the Old Testament. Second Kings chapter seven. Second Kings chapter seven. They're in the midst of a famine. And the prophet Elisha gets a word from God. And he says in verse one of Second Kings seven, but Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a a, a seah of fine flour will be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now look at verse two, very important, very important. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, Could this thing be? But he said, yeah, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you'll not eat of it. So notice this, the captain, this wasn't a dumb man. This was an intelligent man with a lot of responsibility. When he heard the word of the Lord, did he believe it? No, he doubted it. So the word of the Lord came to that man. And rather than believing it to be true, he doubted it and spoke words of doubt against it. So you see this is possible that the word can come to you and there are people who can reject the word that they hear and it does not produce faith in their heart. It produces doubt and unbelief. And so it's getting past your flesh and becoming a receptor, a word receptor. That's what we're called to be, word receptors. Um, let me... Uh, 
let me break another thing down for you real quick before I give you these six faith killers. I'm going to help you today. This is going to help you to go to another level in your faith, in the manifestation of God's power in your life. Let's talk for a minute about Matthew chapter 13. Good morning, Michael. That's right, Aaron. What is the cure for doubt? Preaching and teaching the word of God. But again, when those hearers hear it, they've got to believe it to be true. Um, in Matthew 13, I want to talk to you for this about this for a minute because here's a place where you begin to see, okay, look at this. Why is it that some people can hear the word in church and they receive it and faith grows and they go to another level, whereas other people, they hear it and they reject it or it's, it's ineffective on them. They doubt it and they leave unchanged. It was the same service. Same preacher, same word. How come it had such a different effect on different people? I'm about to show you. Because in Matthew 13, Jesus is giving us a warning about the types of people who hear the word of God. And he specifically lists four types of people. I want you to see it. That's what Ben makes a great point. Ben Full, we have to accept it like the ground accepts a seed. Notice that any farmer knows, and this is such a great point, Ben, thank you for bringing this up. The ground has to be tilled. You don't just go onto hard ground and just toss seeds down. What do the farmers do first? You go through and you turn up that soil. If you've ever done any of this, you know what I'm talking about. You turn up that soil. There's a tool that literally turns up the soil so that the soft part comes up and it'll create trenches in the ground. It'll create trenches. And then the seeds, what happens? The seeds will be placed in the trenches and the earth move back over the top of them so that the ground can properly receive or accept the seed. And that turning up of the hard ground is a process that Christians need to understand. Let's deal with it from Matthew 13. This is an excellent point. That was a great way to put it, Ben. Thank you. Look at this now. Jesus tells what we call the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. And he said that the sower went out to sow. Now, I'll tell you right up front, it's not talking just about sowing actual seed, Jesus explains later, which is where we're headed, that the sower is sowing the word. That's what he explains. The sower is sowing the word. The sower is sowing the word, but the word fell on four types of ground, four different types of ground, four different types of hearts that people have that affect how they receive the word when it comes to them. Let's deal with it because he explains. Let's let's go through and read them. And then I'll, I'll go to Jesus' explanation of what he's teaching. A sower went out. This is now Matthew 13, and I'm in verse 3. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, look at that phrase, they had no depth of soil. 
They had no depth of soil. That's what we were just talking about. No depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Now we go to Jesus explaining what this really even means. Like what are these, what are these types of people? Like who are they? How does this function in real life? Let's look at it. Matthew 13, starting with verse 18. He said, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, this is the first type, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. Okay, stop right there. So here's the first type of person that hears the word, but it doesn't build faith in their heart at all, is a person who hears the word and they don't understand what they're hearing. Now, I will put some of this, not just on the person, I'll put it on the preacher. I'm going to put this on the preachers because there's some preachers out there that they're just preaching to impress other preachers. I've heard them preach. It's like you're trying to use words, vocabulary. You're trying to sound so uh, distinguished and so uh, intelligent and so educated and so revelatory that you've lost me, buddy. I, I don't know what in the world you're talking about. If you've ever been in a service like that, throw your hand up in the comments. I don't know what in the world you're, and I'm a preacher, and I don't even know what in the world you're talking about, bro. And and, and that's a problem. That's a problem because you know what it does? It creates ground out in the crowd of people that become a footpath because they don't understand what in the world you're talking about. Don't know what in the world you're talking about. So what does that do for the hearer? Good morning, Janine, Kelsey, Hope. Good morning. What does it do for the hearer? Well, according to Jesus, people who don't understand the word, the Bible says that the evil one comes immediately and snatches away the word that was preached to them. What a waste of my time. What a waste of your time to have somebody come in and preach some high-minded message that's so far above the people's heads that nobody can understand it. You know who was a master at not doing this? I'll tell you somebody that was a master. If you've never heard of him you need or listened to him, you may have heard of him, but you've never listened to him speak. You need to go back on YouTube and listen to him. That was Kenneth Hagin. I often think about Brother Hagin because uh, here's a man who was teaching deep faith principles, deep spiritual principles, but he was teaching them to farmers. <laughs> In West Texas, and East Texas, and Oklahoma, he was teaching deep spiritual principles to farmers. And it was amazing because here's guys, they're not theologians. You know, these are farmers. They're not theologians. They're ranchers. They're farmers. But he was able to teach these men and women deep spiritual principles and have it to produce fruit in their lives. 
have it to bring the supernatural to pass in their lives. And people say, how in the world was Brother Hagin able to teach things like new creation realities and the Pauline revelation and, and faith and the God kind of faith and all? How did he teach farmers and ranchers these deep spiritual principles and they get it and they work it in their lives? One of the things that I know that he did is that he always would use stories. He would tell stories. He would give analogies. He would break it down in that way, and it would help them to understand. You know, any great communicator has always been a great storyteller, even Jesus. The reason Jesus used parables was so that his disciples could understand. Others would not, but his disciples could. But look at the times, or look at the things that he would do in the time that he lived. He would tell them with with the types of parables where people, it, it related to their everyday experience, you see, so that it wasn't some parable, you know, I'm not going to go into the city, for example, where everybody's living in a very urban environment and start giving all these farming analogies. It's like, well, we don't farm, so I don't know what you're talking about. He spoke to the people uh, in ways they could understand it. I heard one one preacher say this to me one time, and it really it really was uh, mind blowing. He said, "It's not just our job to give people the word." He said, "It's our job to give people the word in a way that they can receive it." And I thought that's perfect because that keeps us from becoming the first type of ground, the footpath. We don't understand it, so as a result, the enemy just comes at once and takes it away. If you sat through a whole service at your church where you didn't understand what was being taught, when you leave, you better believe as well as I know, your mind immediately is going to other things in your life, things you got to deal with, things you got to handle, what you're going to do for work, what you're doing for your family for lunch on Sunday afternoon, what you're going to do for Monday work, projects at your job that got to get finished. It's not taking any root in your heart. Anything you didn't understand is going right out of your mind, going right out of your mind. It's not impacting you. It's not affecting you. And so here, this first type of ground, we must understand. Now, part of that, I will say, is not only on the preacher, because sometimes the preacher is doing a fine job, but there are people that have been spiritually lazy in the pew, and they don't study the Bible, they don't read their Bible, they don't pray, they don't gain a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And if you're you're a person that doesn't study the word, then don't expect to become proficient in the word. And so you have to, your part is, I've got to spend time reading the Bible and, listen to this now, not just reading it, but analytically reading the Bible. In the same way, if somebody wrote you a letter, here's a good test for you. Write this down if you've never thought like this. Here's a good test. If I wrote you a letter, you would easily be able to read that letter I know what I was talking about. And if somebody said to you, hey, what did Ted say in his email? What was he talking about to you in the email? You could break down for them exactly what I was talking to you about in the email and what my expectations were, what I asked you to do. You could understand the context and the tone in which I was speaking, all those things. And you could explain it to someone else. Let's say you had to go explain it to your team. Hey, Evangelist Ted sent an email. This is what he's asking for. This is what he said to us. This is what he's going to want. All those things, you could analyze it. You've got to be able to do the same thing for the Bible. If you read Paul's letter 
to the Ephesians or his letter to the Colossians, could you sit down with someone else and say, well, did you read Paul's letter to the Colossians? Because here's what he was really saying to them. Here's what he wanted of them. He expected this. He was addressing these issues. These were the problems that he saw. This is what the Lord was saying to that church. That's called analytical reading. I can read Paul's letter and I can know what he was talking about. And I can explain it to somebody else. But if you don't do those types of things, it's going to be harder for you to sit in church and hear a word and process what you're hearing. Be a person who studies the mighty word of God and sharpens your spirit to receive. Sharpens your spirit to receive. That's number one. All right, let's go on to number two. What's the second type of ground? Uh, The Bible says, Uh, Verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So what does that mean? Now we're looking at people. Now we're looking at people that they're not, they've got no faithfulness, no loyalty to the Lord in their life. That's what Jesus is talking about. Here are people with no faithfulness to the kingdom, no loyalty to the kingdom. So here's people, you know, I always watch for this. There's people that'll come to your church for like four months and they're all gung ho. They're the most excited person in the church. Four months later, you never see them again. They're gone. (laughs) They're out. That's not... That's not right. And this is who Jesus is talking about. Here's a person they can get all excited about your word. They can be waving a handkerchief while you're preaching. They could be excited running around the church. But what are you going to do when persecution comes on account of the word? What are you going to do when tribulation arises and the devil's attacking and you're being pushed back on? Are you still going to be there pressing into the things of God or are you quitting? You out the door. They've got no root. They're not firmly planted. It's a lack of faithfulness. It's a lack of loyalty to the kingdom of God. And so I want you to see this now. If this is who people are, no root, not planted, not faithful, not mature, they can get as excited as they want to get, but it's not going to produce any fruit in their life because their roots don't go down deep. So it's like, just imagine if, if you planted something and, and it just starts to begin to, to uh, sprout. And then all of a sudden you just rip the whole thing out of the ground. Well, it's not going to grow anymore. And it kills the thing that was growing, kills the thing that was growing. And so there's no loyalty. There's no faithfulness. There's no root. There's no maturity there. Then it doesn't grow. Jesus is dealing with it. So don't be someone who doesn't understand the word. And number two, don't be some wishy-washy Christian that's church hopping every third week, that can't be faithful to the house of God, that doesn't stick planted where you're sent by the Lord because that'll keep your fruit from being produced and your faith will not function. What happens is the word will come to you, but it can't produce fruit because of that thing. Move on further. Look at this. The third type of ground. Third type of ground. Uh, Jesus said, verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves 
unfruitful. So here's here. I preached on this last night a little bit. Here are people, they get a word on Sunday and they're excited about the word on Sunday, but then they turn the news back on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They listen to what people are saying at their job. They're listening to the culture. They got their Twitter feed going. They got Fox news on. They got Newsmax on. They got CNN on. They got MSNBC on and all the bombarding cares of this world begin to hit their spirit. And as a result, what takes place? The the cares of this world, the anxieties, the depressions, the heaviness, the reports start to choke out the word of God. I always use this as an analogy. Peter stepped out of the boat when Jesus said, come. I preached it last night. And he began to walk towards the word on the word with his eyes on the word. But the moment his eyes left the word and went to the world, he began to sink. That right there is the case. This is who Jesus is talking about. You heard a word, but now your eyes go back to the world. Cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, and it destroys your faith. It destroys your ability to produce fruit. Then what is the final type of ground? He said, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case, a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. And so let's deal with this. Now we can see that it's not just hearing the word. It's not just hearing the word. It's believing it to be true. It's understanding it and believing it to be true. Thank you. Hope look at now, I'll give you these six killers of faith, write them down in your notes, six things that will kill your faith and stop it from working. (laughs) that's probably one of the biggest misconceptions of Christians. Faith just works all the time. There are things that can happen that stop your faith from working. Number one, not walking in love. This is plain. And if you've never heard this, we need to hear it. In the Bible, Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter five and verse number six, Paul said, faith works by love. Faith works by love. Love. If we don't walk in love, we're not walking in faith. In fact, the Bible says God is love and we've got to abide in him. The moment you step out of love, you've stepped outside of God. Think about that for a minute. The moment you've stepped outside of love, you've stepped outside of God because God is love. Faith works by love. Faith works by love. If we're going to walk by faith, we got to walk in love. That's why the devil works so hard to get you to be offended at people, to get you to be ticked off at people, hold grudges against people, all these different things. That's why. That's exactly why he works so hard to get you bent out of shape at others. But look at this. Have you ever seen this? That's also why that the two commandments that we have in the New Testament are so vital. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you just follow those two, you know what it does? It ensures your faith will always be working. Your faith will always work. Love. You got to be in love if you're going to be in faith. Number two, second thing that'll kill your faith, pride. Pride stops your faith from working. No question about it. It is a killer. Did you know that pride 
actually makes you God's opponent? (laughs) That's heavy. James chapter 4 and verse 6. The Bible says, But God gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Notice that. He opposes the proud. So if your your faith's not working, if you're walking in pride, how could your faith be working and you be pleasing to God and him come through for you if he's also opposing you at the same time? He's not going to uh, answer your prayers. He's not going to work on your behalf if he's opposing you. And I don't want God as an opponent. Because the Bible says, if God be for you, who can be against you? But the opposite's also true. If God's against you, who can be for you? Right? Pride has to go. Pride's the thing that got the devil ejected from heaven. Got him ejected from heaven. And so pride has to go out of our lives. Did you know meekness, humility, those are the keys to inheritance. The Bible said the meek shall inherit the earth. Moses, who was the meekest man on the earth, was also the greatest man in all of Egypt. Think about that. Number three, here's one that'll help you. The third killer of faith is actually sight. Sight. There's people that think doubt is the... They think doubt is the opposite of faith. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Sight is the opposite of faith. Notice what the Bible says. We walk by faith and not by sight. Sight is the opposite of faith. You know why? Because if you study the word, the Bible says faith is the substance of things not seen. Did you catch that? Faith is the substance of things not seen seen. Sight is your enemy when it comes to faith. Because one thing the devil will do is point your eyes in the natural towards all of the wicked things that are happening, all of the attacks he's sending, all of what seems to be going on, and try to get you to believe and confess and walk by that versus what the word of God says. I don't do that. I refuse to make my decisions based upon what's going on in the natural world. My decisions are based upon what the word of God says. That's what my decisions are based upon. And so um, sight is an enemy. Sight is an enemy. You don't go by what you see. You don't go by what you hear. You go by what the word of God says. That's where our decisions are made. And so one of, the, one of the dangers is that it's easy to see in the natural realm. It takes more um, spiritual fortitude to see in the spirit realm. Let me show you a perfect example of this in the Old Testament so you can see what I'm talking about. 2 Kings uh, chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6. We're talking about seeing in the natural realm versus seeing in the spiritual realm. You have spiritual eyes and you have natural eyes. The Bible says that you have the eyes of your understanding enlightened. Well, that's not your natural eyes, that's your spiritual eyes. 
you know, what do you think that, that the apostle means when he writes in the Bible? Let him that has ears to hear, hear what the spirit is saying to the church. You think he's only talking to people that don't have a deformity of no ears? No, he's talking to people that have their spiritual ears open. Everybody's got ears. He's not saying that let him that has ears to hear. Everyone's got ears. He's talking to people who have their spiritual ears open. Hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Same with your spiritual eyes. See in the spirit realm. Here's an, here's an example of that. Uh, there was an evil king who wanted to destroy Israel. He knew that he couldn't because they had a prophet on their side who was Elisha. And so his people, he was so freaked out by this because he was like, every time I come up with a plan, it's like they already know what my plan is in Israel and it always fails. And then he, he, he saw it was so specific. He thought he had a traitor in his inner council. He's like, which one of you is telling my plans to Israel? Which one of you is the traitor? And you know what their answer was? My king, none of us is, is a traitor. None of us is telling on you. They have a prophet in their camp who hears what the king says, even in his bedroom. And he said, oh, well, if that's the case, we got to kill this prophet first then. Because if I don't kill the prophet, I won't be able to subdue Israel. So they found out where the prophet was staying. And it was a place called Dothan, a town called Dothan. And so the king he sends an entire army or battalion of soldiers to surround Dothan to kill the prophet. And that's where we are in 2 Kings 6. And I'll start reading with verse 15. The Bible says, And when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant, who freaked out, was saying, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's a crazy statement. The servant's looking at the whole army surrounding Dothan, freaking out, probably peeing his robe. And he's asking the prophet, what are we going to do? They're here to kill us. The prophet's not even upset or shook at all. He just says, don't worry about it. There's more on our side than there are on their side. He's like, what are you talking about? Look at this. The Bible says that Elisha had to pray a prayer in verse 17. Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike these people with blindness. And the Lord struck them with blindness in accordance to the prayer of Elisha. He said, I can see what you can't see. The reason that I'm not afraid the reason I'm not nervous, the reason in 2021 I'm not shaking in my boots is because I can see what others in our culture, what others in our government, what others in our nation cannot see. The promises of God, the word of God, what God said he would do. And I believe this over that. That's why I'm not shook up. That's why I'm not running out to buy 90 rolls of toilet paper at my house. 
paper towels and soap. 90 million cases a bottle of water to keep in the cellar. Because <laughs> either God's my provider or he's not my provider. But I'm not going out making decisions based on fear. Because I believe this over what they say on the news. It's all contrived anyway. If you don't believe it's contrived by now, so there's a shortage. Meanwhile, you've got all these ships out in the sea with all of our stuff. <laughs> Do you know what I was so happy to hear? That our governor in Florida, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, was telling the ships, if they won't let you dock in California New York, bring them down to our 15 ports in Florida, and we'll let you dock right here and unload in Florida at all of our 15 major ports. I hope they do it. It's a true leader right there. Sight is your enemy. We don't go by sight. We go by faith. We go by the word of God. Now, number four is sin. The fourth killer of faith is sin. The Bible says in Romans 14, 23, anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. Romans 14, 23, anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. And so I want you to see this. What Pastor Enoch Adeboye calls the master key is holiness, living holy unto the Lord. Do you know what the Bible says in the book of Psalms? The 84th Psalm, the 11th verse, God will not withhold any good thing, not one good thing, from those who walk uprightly. God will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly, not any. Holiness is the key that keeps your faith working. Sin is a killer that stops your faith from working. Holiness keeps it working. Sin stops it from working. Don't allow sin to destroy your life and destroy your faith. Number five, the fifth killer of faith, and this is a this is a big one, especially today, double-mindedness. Go to James 1, double-mindedness. Say, so what does that mean? I believe, but I don't. I'm having issues with my faith. I'm deconstructing. If I hear that word one more time, that's it's good to know why you believe what you believe. But there's people, and I know this, there's people that are just losing their faith. <clears throat> they're not deconstructing their faith. They're just losing their faith. And we've seen it happen now with uh, very well-known uh, Christian so- uh, singers, bands, songwriters, they, they've just come out on social media. I'm no longer a Christian. I no longer follow God. I just had so many questions that were unanswered and I deconstructed my faith. And well, you know, what you did is lost your faith. You're an apostate. You've left the faith. And I do believe their, their pastors will answer for that because they couldn't answer their questions or whatever. But <clears throat> there's people, they're not deconstructing. They've lost their faith. Double-mindedness. Double-mindedness. Listen to James chapter 1. I'm going to read to you from verses 5 all the way through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything, anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, a double-minded man, and he's unstable in all of his ways. So double-mindedness causes you to be unstable. Double-mindedness causes you to be in a place where you'll not receive anything from the Lord, not one thing. It kills your faith. It stops it from working. Double-minded. Double-minded. <laughs> Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Well, which is it? Do you believe or you have unbelief? <laughs> that's that's what the, the father of the demon-possessed boy in Mark 9 said to Jesus. He said, what do you mean, if I can? All things are possible to him that believes. And the guy's response, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. It's like, which is it? Do you believe or do you have unbelief? Do you believe or do you have unbelief? I either believe something's true or I doubt that it's true. I don't know why people think there's an in-between. I either believe something is true or I doubt that it's true. I believe that my wife is my wife. I believe that. I don't doubt that it's true. I was like, man, I wonder if she is my wife though. No, she is my wife. I believe it to be true. I am a man. I'm a biological male. I know it's true. I don't doubt it. I'll sit there and say, I wonder if I am a man. I wonder if I am a biological male. No, I know I am one. I believe it to be true. You either believe it or you don't believe it. Something's either true or it's not. And whether it is that you believe it depends upon you. It's either true or it's not. And a double-minded man is unstable in all of his or her ways. So don't allow yourself to become double-minded. Don't allow yourself to get pulled in two directions about what you believe. You understand? So the key is when you hear the word, that's why I put my blinders on. I don't have any interest with having input, external input that would try to shake my mindset. And no, no desire for that. No desire whatsoever. That's why I keep the news off in my house. I don't have the news on. I don't even get a newspaper. The only way I would ever know about something that would happen in the news or current events, the only way I would ever know is seeing somebody post about it. That's the only way I would ever know. That that blows some people's minds. Like, are you live like that? You seriously can live like that? Oh, I live well like that. I live very well like that. I haven't known about current events unless somebody told me about it or somebody else posted about it for decades. <laughs> I, mean, I just don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm living life and somebody, oh, you're just like a, you know, ignorant, I guess ignorance is bliss. Well, I guess so. Cause I am blissful. I am happy. I mean, I'm very happy <laughs> as you could tell, <clears throat> but I don't care. Especially when you recognize that like pretty much everything that's being told to you is being formed, manipulated, a narrative has been created because it's not just news, it is giving you information that they want to use to provoke you to take actions. That's what the news is now. It's not just a reporting of 
uh, the facts. There is an agenda behind the way they report the facts because they want you to make or take a decision, take an action, make a decision based upon what they tell you, right? And so it's contrived. So once an agenda is connected to it, think about that. Once an agenda is connected to it, what's the benefit for me to go out there? All I become now is a consumer of someone's product. That's what it is. I'm not just having somebody tell me the news or tell me the current events. With their spin on it, I am now a consumer of their product, which means I, they want me to go and do something, and that's going to be based upon their narrative. So I don't have any desire to be their little consumer of their little product. I'll keep reading the word. I'll keep listening to preaching and teaching. I'll let my faith be built. Doesn't mean I'm a dummy. <laughs> You don't have to listen to the news to be intelligent. Exactly. They said here, it's the opposite. I agree with that. The news can make you dumb. This is how you turn into somebody that's driving down the street in a car with all the windows rolled up with a face shield and a mask on and no one else is in the car. That's how that happens. And and gloves on the steering wheel. I saw a video online of a lady in the UK who was driving down the road by herself in her car. And when they got to a red light, she was motioning for the guy next to her to roll down his window. When he did, she yelled and screamed at him because she said, you're driving too close to me and we're supposed to socially distance. I thought, good Lord, woman. Ben falls laughing in his office. I'm just telling you, this is what's going on. It's it's actually true. The opposite's taking place for people. It's like... My dad made such a funny point. He said, you know, it's amazing. Uh, The Amish communities in Pennsylvania uh, and stuff, he said, they're they're not having any problems with with all of this that's going on. He said, but also they don't have TVs. (laughs) It's a great point. It's a great point. And so the the bottom line is this, double-mindedness will kill your faith. It keeps you from receiving what God has for you. Let me give you the final one. Hey, Olga. Uh, let me let me give you the final one here. Number six, it is unworthiness. Feelings of unworthiness stop your faith from working. Let me give you a very interesting scripture in Hebrews chapter four to illustrate this because <clears throat> if you don't know who you are in Christ, if you don't understand uh, your heavenly identity and you keep identifying with the old you, the old man, It'll stop your faith from working. You say, what do you, what do you mean by that? This is what I mean. In Hebrews chapter 4, look at the attitude with which the Lord wants us to approach the throne. This is important. You're supposed to approach the throne with an attitude, a specific attitude. Look at this. The Bible says, Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need catch that what how do we approach God's throne with confidence now you can't do that so so watch this now faith requires confidence again let me let me reference Hebrews eleven six. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those that come to God 
must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of who? Those that diligently seek him. That's Hebrews 11.6. So he's looking, number one, for people to seek him diligently. You won't seek him diligently. You won't even approach the throne of grace properly if you don't have confidence, if you don't understand who you are, identity, heavenly identity. I've got to know who I am. If I don't know who I am, what's going to happen? The devil will lie to me and tell me I'm somebody that I'm not. He'll start to tell me that I'm a sinner saved by grace, that I still got issues. I still got problems. No, I'm not righteous. I'm still that old mess that I always have been. What's going on here? It's people are missing their identity because that's not who you are anymore. After you get saved, you've got a new heavenly identity. You are now the righteousness of God in Christ. You are now part of the body of Christ. I I mean, I want you to think about, we use that phrase body of Christ so much that I think people, they misunderstand. You are in Jesus body. There is no unrighteousness in his body. Think about this. That would mean that parts of Jesus were unrighteous. Do you think there are parts of Jesus that are unrighteous? If you're in him, you're righteous. If you're part of his body, can you imagine Jesus standing here and like most of him is doing well, but like his, he's like one of his hands is blackened with unrighteousness and like his whole left leg is blackened with unrighteousness and sin. No, Jesus is totally righteous. Jesus is totally righteous. And if you are in his body and Paul said that you are, he said, you're all members in particular of the same body of Christ. If you're in him, you are righteous because God made you righteous. You're not blackened with sin. You're not a wicked person. You are righteous. You're in Christ. You're in right standing with God. Well, if that's the case, you now can see yourself with your new heavenly identity. I can approach God's throne with confidence, with boldness. Why? I know who I am now. I know who I am now. Let me say this. It would be weird if I walked into some stranger's house, opened their cabinet, took out their cereal, got a bowl, poured myself some, took their milk out of the fridge, poured it in, grabbed a spoon, and I walked in, and they, they're all in the living room watching TV in the evening, and I just plop myself down. I might get shot. They might scream. They might call the police. Some big old bald dude just took our cereal and now he's in our living room watching our TV. That's weird. That's weird. That's very weird. I have no right to do that. But let me tell you something. It's not weird if I walk into my dad's house and go get cereal out of his cupboard. And get us get a, a bowl out of his cover and, and pour myself some and some milk and go sit down. It's not my house, but guess what? It's not weird. I said stranger, Tiffany. I said stranger's house. Uh, it's not weird. Why? Because I'm a part of the family. Man, if people could get this, Tiffany, you're a part of the family. If I am a part of the family, then guess what? 
I've got a right to get the cereal. I've got a right to grab some milk. I got a right to get a spoon. I got a right to sit on the couch. I got a right to watch TV with you. I'm part of the family. I don't have to be timid about it. I don't have to creep and say, hey, does anybody mind if I get some cereal? You don't do that if you're in your own house or with your family. You have a right. You have a right as a part of the family. And this is, Ben said, why is Telly Savalas in my kitchen? I, I, I don't have to, does anybody mind if I have some cereal? It's No, you're part of the family. You're part of, we have the keys to the front door. That's exactly right. We've got keys to the front door and we don't have to be timid and we don't have to be afraid and we don't have to be insecure because when you know you're part of the family, you act differently than if you're not part of the family. And when you understand who you are in Christ, your identity, you're part of the family. He's your father. Jesus is your brother. You have a right to be in the house. You've got a right to be in the body. And you've got a right to the blessings that are in the cabinets and in the refrigerator of heaven. Heaven's bakery is working 24-7. And he said, give us this day our daily bread, which means that heaven's bakery is always baking your bread and you've got a right to the blessings of heaven. You've got to ask boldly at the throne of grace. My kids don't come up to me in our house and go, hey, would it be okay if I had dinner with the rest of the family tonight? It's like, no. Dinner's just for mommy and daddy. You're just a kid. No, they don't even ask. You know, they just sit down at the table. They didn't even pay for any of the groceries. <laughs> None of that. It's just they're benefiting from being a part of the family. They've got a room, they've got a bed, they've got clothes, they've got a roof, they've got a table. They've got education. They've got an inheritance. They're just benefiting from being part of the family. And when you understand that you're a part of the family, you'll never again. Yeah. Oh, Lord, we're just so unworthy to be in your presence. That's my my nephew, Alex. I'm telling you, that's one of the worst things. I can't stand hearing that in churches. Oh, God, we're so unworthy, Lord, to be in your presence. So unworthy, God. It's like, what Bible are you reading, you nut job? He made you worthy. That's the whole point. He made you worthy to be in the family. He raised you up together. He took you from death unto life. He seated you in heavenly places. He put you at the right hand. He's the one who brought you in. He's the one who initiated what Paul called the spirit of adoption. He brought you into the family. He made you worthy. You didn't do it. He did it. And so now you get the benefits of being a part of the family of God. You should never be insecure about it. You should never be timid about it. Boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy and help, grace to help in the time of need. You got to boldly. So here's the deal. It's a good point. Ben said, royalty never questions their authority. Write it down. It's a great thought. Royalty never questions their authority. <laughs> Nick said, why didn't they pay for the groceries? Tell Maddie and Teddy Jr., just Teddy the third, start pulling their weight. 
I'm trying to wait till he gets out of kindergarten before he starts having to pay for stuff. First grade, you start paying. Kindergarten, I give you a pass. Royalty never questions their authority. Never question who you are in Christ. If he made you to be that, now think of this, last thought before I pray. The moment we begin to question who we are and declare that's not who we are, watch this, we're calling God a liar. The moment I start acting like I'm not who he made me to be, saying that I'm a sinner, saved by grace, all these other things, all these other insecurities in the spirit, I'm calling God a liar. I'm calling his word a lie because the word says, if any man, if any man, and I'm pretty sure if my Greek is right here, that the word used is the same word that can be used uh, for man and woman, anthropoi. If any man, if any woman be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things have become new. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If any man, yep, that's right. Look at that. Any man, any woman, be in Christ. They're new creatures. I love that. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm not even the same person I used to be before salvation. I'm a brand new individual, even in God's eyes. That means I got to start acting like who he made me to be. I got to start approaching him like who he made me to be. It's supernatural. Your faith is going to work like it's never worked. I'm believing with you. What are we declaring? Final three months of this year is going to be filled with wonders. Wonders. Supernatural wonders. Father, I'm praying right now for every man, every woman watching and listening on the podcast. I ask you in Jesus' name, always to let us be the good ground, tilled earth. We receive the seed of God's word and we produce fruit every time. Our faith will not be derailed by these faith killers in Jesus' mighty name. It will not be derailed by these attacks of the devil, feelings of unworthiness, sin, doubt, unbelief, double-mindedness. It will not be derailed. Our faith is going to another level in Jesus' name. Our faith is rising. Lord, you will never have to look at us and be disappointed about where our faith is. We will increase in faith steadily until Jesus comes. We will increase in faith. To whom much is given, much is required. And so, Lord, we ask you, continue to give us Give us a greater understanding of your word, revelation. Put a spirit of wisdom and revelation in every one of us. Let the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. Let us see what we've never seen. Give us wisdom 
as your word uh, teaches us to ask, James 1.5, give us a greater wisdom than we've ever had. Let us see things in your word we've never seen before. And as we see the truth, let that truth continue to set us free. We'll fly at new levels. We'll rise to new heights with a new and a greater faith by the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, we will not succumb to the narrative of these final days. We will not stand and believe the report of the world over the report of the word. It'll never be our story in Jesus' name. And so I'm giving you praise and thanks ahead of time for wonders that are taking place. We will see supernatural wonders. I pray for those that are a part of the Victory Tribe, Lord. Those that are believing for exemptions, let them quickly come through as they have for these other two. I pray in Jesus' name that we would see the greatest increases that we've ever seen in the final three months. Increased health, increased peace, increased joy, increased finances and financial income, increased bonuses, raises. I pray, Lord, that people would see things come they weren't even expecting to come in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Let this be a final end of the year that's like none other that we've ever seen in the history of our lives in Jesus' wonderful name. We thank you. You're a provider that will always have everything we need and more, that will overflow, that will abound because that's your plan for every one of your children. We shall abound in Jesus' name. I mean, I want you to put it in the comments. I will abound. I want you to write it. That's our faith declaration. I will abound. I'll never be without. I'll never barely get by. I'm not going to scrape the bottom of the barrel. I won't get anywhere close to the bottom of the barrel because we live in the overflow in Jesus' mighty name. I will abound. And there's nothing the devil can do about it because I'm not in his system. I'm in God's system. And I will abound. You will abound. Your children will abound. Every good work in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. If you believe it, shout amen. Put some fire, some hands in the comments section. And on this Friday, I'm going to challenge your faith, those of you that are watching, to sow a seed by faith. I'm going to challenge you on this Breakthrough Friday to put something in the ground that will start growing for you. It's time to start releasing the largest seeds we've ever done. I'm doing it myself. I've been doing it all year. By May, we blew last year away. And then after May has all been extra. Everything's been extra after May. I've sown the largest seeds this year I've ever sown, and I'm getting ready to sow even bigger ones, even bigger ones by the power of the Holy Ghost. So that by the time I hit 2022, guess what? Guess what? Divine possession is my story in Jesus' name. I will possess what I've never possessed. I'll hold what I've never held. I'll have what I've never had by the power of God. But it's not random. It comes through obedience. It comes through obedience. And we're going to be obedient to the voice of the Lord. I'm declaring it for you. You're going to have what you've never had. You're going to hold what you've never held. You're going to possess what you've never possessed in 2022. Get ready to make the devil's head spin. In Jesus' name, get ready for the wicked to become angry when they see what God is doing for you. Leslie said, I told Carolyn the other day, I'm so thankful for your ministry tilling up the ground so I can sow into good ground. Thank you. We love you. We love you, Leslie. 
Love you, Dylan. So the information's on the screen. You can go to miracleword.com. You can sow a seed there. I'm encouraging you to partner with this ministry. Partner with this ministry. Stand with us. Why do I I believe in this ministry? Not because I'm a part of it, because I know what God's doing through it. I know the miracles. I see the signs. I see the wonders. I see the turnarounds. I believe in what God's doing. And so I want to encourage you. Those of you that are partnered with us, we want to spend time with you. That's why we've got the Victory Tribe Homecoming weekend coming up. November the 12th and 13th, we'll be in Pennsylvania together. And I'll tell you, we love you, Kelsey. Uh, We've got that coming up on the 12th as a Friday. We're going to be at Central Assembly of God. We're having a Holy Ghost meeting. On uh, Saturday, we're having lunch together. 12 to 3, we're hanging out. We're going to have a blast. It's going to be good. I love you. I can't wait to spend time with you. We're going to end this year the right way. We're going to end this year in victory because we're the victory tribe. Amen. We always win. We always win. We always win. I love it. Again, don't forget Carolyn's live at 2 o'clock p.m. today. It's uh, Friday favorites. Somebody's getting a massage. Somebody's getting their nails done. It's going to be a great day. And uh, don't miss it. Facebook, YouTube, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Carolyn will be back. We're here in Revival tonight. Tomorrow night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Four services left to come and be a part of what God's doing. It's been so wonderful. We want to see you in person. And uh, we'll be live again tonight at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern. I really love you guys a lot. It means a lot to me to be able to spend time with you every day. It's uh, one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, grab a hoodie. Man just said, get a hoodie. Yeah, grab yourself a hoodie. They're available uh, on the shop.miracleword.com. There's all kinds of stuff there to build your faith too. Love you a lot. Have a great one. I'll talk to you again very soon. Later. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.